Hi, you're listening to Eternal Stance. I hope this message inspires you to live in light of eternity. Tonight, I want to talk to you guys about going towards this Christmas season. And we have, I think a lot of times we, we, we are so focused on Christmas and getting presents and so on and so forth. And then Christmas is over and you wake up the next day and you're like, what now? Whoa, like that's it? Like all those jingles and all that time that you build up to Christmas. And then it's like, oh, Christmas... New Year's is coming up. In five days, we're going to be into a new year. Resolutions. I got to change my life. Like, I got to go to the gym. I, I got to start reading the Bible. I, and you start to, like, sort of make all these resolutions about how your life will be different in the next year. And I think maybe we should start that a bit early. Um, and I think maybe we should really, as we step into this new year, we should really think about the things that we should do in inventory about our lives, right? And see, okay, God, what are you asking us to change about ourselves? God, we want to hear your voice in this whole process. And if you know me for any amount of, of time, you know Ben knows, because he's heard every single story like 15 times. But like, um, you know that I always say that make sure that you look at all things in light of eternity. Uh, and the idea behind that is that you look at things not from your temporary perspective, because if you have a temporary thing that brought you joy, most likely your joy is going to be temporary. But if you start to invest in things that are eternal, then your joy will be eternal. Amen. If you start to invest into the things that, like, uh, things that it will outlast you, your life, um, this, this season that we're in, I mean, we look back with like uh, this nostalgic feeling about like, oh, I used to be 16 once, right? We're 18 once, right? Like you look back and then you look in the future and so on and so forth. But I think what we need to focus on is daily how am I impacting eternity today? Daily, God, what am I doing to change? And I think a lot of times we, we have this notion that somehow one day we're going to stand up, we're going to make this big decision, and our life will be changed and transformed. In reality, it's not like that. It's every single choice that you make that leads you to these big, you know, high highs and low lows, right? You know, I can trace every single low in the little things, the things that you've ignored, you know, the, the, the break, breakups and all that is maybe because you've ignored things along the way that you should have been focusing on. Amen? So I, 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 I want us not to miss this moment. I want us to start thinking, God, what are you convicting me on? Where's my hope? Where's my satisfaction coming from? Is it from people's approval? Oh, that gets, that can turn on a dime. And one day the mob is for you and you're like, you're the best, you're amazing. And next day you're hated, you know, and, and, and what is our approval coming from? So that's what I want to focus on for tonight. I have two passages that I want to read with you today. And first, the first one is going to be uh, Hebrews. That's how you know the people in the Bible made coffee. It's a pretty cliche joke. Uh, <laughs> Hebrews is a, is a book in the New Testament, and we don't really know who wrote it. Some people say it was Paul, the apostle, because it kind of sounds like Paul, but scholars don't know for sure exactly who wrote it. But it was a book written or a letter written to the church, um, to the church, the Hebrew people. And, um, you know, it's, it's this, this amazing uh, verse that you probably have heard it, heard it. That's not a word. <laughs> you probably heard before. Um, Hebrews 11.1 1 says this, faith is the confidence that we um, that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. Through faith, verse 2, through their faith, 
the people in the old days or the day of old earn a good reputation. By faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command. That when that what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. It was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain did. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man, and God showed his approval of his of his of his gifts. Can talk, um, and, and you go through this whole chapter and. By now, you probably know this chapter is also kind of known as like, you know how in sports, there's the Hall of Fame? Well, this is kind of like the Hall of Faith, okay? Anybody that's anybody in the Old Testament is usually listed in Hebrews 11. Now, it's a really long chapter, so I can't really go through the whole chapter. But what I can tell you is that all these people are listed, like by faith, Abraham, you know, uh, followed God. By faith, Moses did this. By faith, Samson. By faith, Gideon. So you have all these names, but it starts out giving us a, a picture of what faith is, and it's a hope in the things that we don't see. Faith is the hope that we have in something that we don't see. And, and he's making this point that everything that you do see came from the things that are unseen. So, so take that to your scientist, right? Like, this is what the Bible is saying, is that God is it created everything out of things that are unseen. So, in Hebrews 11, we have this amazing picture. And I think a lot of times I go to this chapter, and I'm like, God, what is, how is my life, you know, fitting into this whole thing? Because on the last verse, you can see that there's, there's, a, there's a powerful thought in there that says that they were not, they did not get what they were hoping for. So you always think that if you have faith in something, in God, right, then you get everything you want. But that's not the case because it says a lot of these people didn't receive, you know, everything that they hoped for. And it says, and the picture is not complete. We are the ones who are completing this chapter because a lot of times we look at the Old Testament and we think of people in the Old Testament as being like these amazing men of God and women of God, but really they were like us. The difference was that they were empowered by the Holy Spirit to carry out those things. So, so my whole point that I want to mention for today is, do you understand that you play a key role in history? Do you understand that it's not just about getting up in the morning, going to your job, coming home, and, and so on and so forth? It's not just about, okay have I gone to the gym or not? Like, it's bigger than all of us combined. God is doing something in this city. God is doing something in this church. And he is, and I, I try to stay completely away from saying God wants to use you because I, I feel like that has such bad connotation. Like when you say, oh, you're used by someone. Like, that's not exactly, if like a friend did that to you, you're like, that doesn't feel good, right? Like, but when I look in the scripture, when I look in the New Testament, I see that God partners up with people. For example, when Jesus says that, hey, I will, you know, uh, there's no wine, so he, he turns wine into, water into wine. I wish it was the other way around. Never mind. <laughs> like, he turns water into wine. But he wasn't just him doing all the work. He says, you bring the vessels, you bring the water, and I'll do the, the miracle part. 
So, so it was a partnership of God saying, hey, you know, the same thing with, with a lot of the miracles that you're going to see in the Bible, where God says, you know, go and, you know, dip yourself in the pool, where so on and so forth. So there's a part that this person is playing. So I think, obviously, I don't, I don't, I'm not here like, oh, if you said God wants to use you, it's heresy. What I'm saying is, I think a better understanding is God wants to partner up with you and and start to reach the city that you're in, the area they're in, your job, and so on and so forth. And I think when we look in the Old Testament, we see how God partnered up with these people, and now their life has changed and been transformed, and now we talk some 2,000, 4,000, 6,000 years later. Amen? So, I'm not sure about you, but growing up, I had this amazing thing where I was very awkward at sports. Most of you already know this. Um, so I had a very creative mind, but that's about it. Um, so when, when it comes to playing sports, I was just, I was just not good. And every, I don't know if you ever felt that. And if you felt that, then don't raise your hand. Don't let anybody know this. But, but as I'm, as I'm, I'm about to play like soccer or be- basketball. Like, you know how you had the two best guys that know how to play that game and they'd always be like the, the captains of the team. So they will like flip a coin and they get to choose, right? Um, so obviously I never got picked first. So every single time someone would be like, okay, we'll take, you know, you know, Sam or whatever, right? And I'd be like, okay, well, I'm not number one, but number two is like best, you know? So, and the number two was not me either. And then I'd be like, Third is the charm, and number fourth, and I'm like, well, I guess, no. And then you, you're the last two people, and I can, the best <laughs> way that I can explain this is just looking at the ground, you're like, I'm pretty sure I'm better than this person, because <laughs> they really suck. <laughs> like, it's, I'm sure I'm not that bad, you know? And then they'll be like, I guess we'll take Slavic, and I'm like, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty bad. Um, I can laugh about this now because I know who I am in Christ, but at that time, it did not feel good. And if you ever got picked last or the second to last, you know, like this is one of the things that I remember. Like I'd run and I'd be like, as long as I can outrun the last person, <laughs> I can still be somewhere in the middle, right? Like, so I don't say like, oh, I was the last person. <laughs> so that was my goal, uh, pretty low standards, but whatever. <laughs> um, and I think that doesn't feel good by any standard uh, or by any stretch of imagination, right? So, so I think a lot of times, it, it might not be necessarily for sports. Now, I think a lot of times we, we all have insecurities. I'm like, God, you really want to speak into my life? God, you really want to partner up with me? Have you seen how awkwardly I move? Or have you seen how I preach? Like, I, last time I preached, I was like, this, I'm never doing this again. God, do you, are you sure that you want me to go reach my... Because I, I stutter. Whenever, when the pressure's turned on, like, I stutter and I can't... I feel so inadequate. God, I don't really know. There's so much better people than me that can, can do it. And I think every other experience in my life proves this point that I'm not, are you sure you want to partner up with me on this? And I think we, we come with this attitude of like, I, have you thought about this, God? Because I don't know. I don't think you realize what you're in for. And, and I want to break that, you know, and shatter that because just because you're not good at sports doesn't mean that God cannot speak through you in a different field. God is called not just people in to preach to athletes, but also people that are a Microsoft. 
And, and I think, you know, we always happen to, if you're creative, you know, you're, like, if you're creative, you're probably really bad at administration. Like, you'll show up late, <clears throat> worship team, um, no, I'm joking, <laughs> but, like, if you're, I'm not, our worship team is pretty good, but you know, like, how creative people, they don't really like very good, they're not very good with schedules, they're not very good with numbers, creative people have kind of a mind of their own, which, Right? And then there's people that are in administration. They need to, to, to follow every single rule. If you don't follow the rule, then the, their whole life is falling apart. Like if, if some is not put in that box, the, the check mark is not put in. Like so, so we, we are all built differently. You know, and for us to say, well, you're more important because you're not as good as this. I mean, you're good at this and I'm not as good at this. That's just not true. God needs all kinds of people. If you think that you stutter, you should talk to Moses. Okay? If you think you had favorite problems with your dysfunctional family, talk to Joseph. I mean, he's, he's probably going to tell you. If you thought people don't encourage you, talk to Joseph. I mean, he got, he got traded. Your family's not that bad, trust me. Like, into slavery. You thought you had bad brothers? So whatever excuse we can come up with, God says, you know what? I know exactly who you are. If you think you're weak and you're not a warrior, I mean, a lot of our guys have insecurities about that. Talk to Gideon, the youngest in his family, the weakest of his clan. And God comes and says, you are a mighty warrior. And he's like, are you serious? I'm just trying to make my lunch. <laughs> like, I'm just really trying to get wheat out so I can eat something. And you, you're calling me. See, God, when he comes up to you, he calls your calling to existence before you even know it. Yeah. And he starts to bring that out of you. And, and like, oh, I go up to people and start saying, man, you're a man of God. And they're like, it makes me extremely uncomfortable when you call me that because... I've literally had people say that to me. And I'm like, yeah, I just don't mean like you're now. I'm just saying like I'm prophesying. <laughs> That's a nice saying, by the way. Don't use it. It's kind of old. Um, but a lot of times God will call you and you're like, oh, I'm, that's not, I don't, I don't, you know, like guess what one thing that I hated to do in life. My dad was a preacher and I was like, this is one thing that I, ne- I never want to do is preach. Um, now I feel like I was born for this, you know, and, and it's weird, not because like, oh, but I got to do what God has called me and I have such obligation. It was never like that. It's just God changes your desires. And then you're like, wow, I'm never more alive than when I actually tell people about Christ. And he's slowly changing you and he's transforming you. So I don't want to deviate too much, but I, I, I want you to take two points is that if you felt rejected, if you feel like you're inadequate, you're in the right place tonight. God has something to say to you tonight. And go into this new season. You don't have to be defined by your insecurities and things that happened in previous, you know, but you can be defined by what he says about you, not what the crowd said about you. Amen? It's an amazing place that we have here. Uh, and, but I think a lot of times we can go on the other side of the thing. Well, I'm just called. So I'm, I'm just, uh, maybe you don't say that where you don't hold your arms like this and all that, but like you take this attitude. I'm like, well, if I'm called, then God is going to just change me right now. But you don't, but you refuse to actually walk in that calling. You refuse to actually be disciplined to walk in that. You refuse to place yourself in position to receive. You refuse to place yourself in a position that you can exercise that out. Let's see how this works for an athlete. Uh, we have this amazing passage in 1 Corinthians 39. Uh, and I'm sorry, you know, I don't think I gave it to you. Um, but you're just going to have to, you know, go along with what I read and trust me that I'm not making up stuff. Um, it, it says, 924 says this, Don't you realize 
that in a race everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. So run to win. All athletes are disciplined and they're training. They put, uh, they do it to do a win, uh, to win a prize that will fade away. But we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every single step. I am not shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself be disqualified. Wow. So he, so he's he's taking this imagery or a metaphor of an athlete. And he says, look, an athlete, he trains. I have a friend of mine who's actually a national athlete. His name is Steele Johnson. He's a diver. And like, you know, basically he has to train every single day. Now he won silver, I think, in the last Olympics. And he has to train every single day for hours and hours and hours and hours. And like a couple of weeks ago, or I think it was like a month ago, he actually broke his leg. And it was such a devastating thing for him because, because you know, now he's like, am I going to be able to dive? And I'm not able to train every single day. So I don't know how my career is going to play out. But it amazes me that a tennis player, a diver, a, a guy who runs, right? Obviously, we don't, we make sure the sumo wrestlers don't run, right? Like, that's not, they, they, they build themselves for that specific you know, sport. They're like, their body's an instrument. They constantly tune it to make sure that they achieve that goal. For what? For 15 seconds of singing the national anthem and have a huge medallion and the the national pride. They do it for a, 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 a prize here. That's what Apostle Paul says, that will fade away. Shouldn't we as Christians do even more and discipline our bodies and work and, and, run together the race set before us, now with just, oh, I'm just doing it, right? Like, you, you've seen those runs before. You, you, your heart's not in it. And you're like, I think I'm just jogging, right? Like, no, you're not, you're not focused, right? Like, with intensity and endurance and perseverance, that's what we're called to. Because uh, we, we're not doing it for 15 seconds of fame and having a medallion. We're doing it for something that will be in eternity, this is what we're doing it for. Uh, my friend Andre, he, he did track and he, we, I went to one of his meets and, um, he actually got first in state for one of, of the, of the races. And I remember, you know, sitting there and watching him as he's getting like, you know, he, you know how they have the three stands, well, the three boxes that they sit on. And, you know, he was on like the, the number one and then they gave him like a medal and, on one hand, like I've seen this guy struggle, like I've seen him because he would spend a lot of the time in my house and like I would see him how he trains and, you know, he, w- he would have injuries. And but in that moment, I was like, I was so proud of him. Like in that moment, I saw all the stands just applauding for him and all that. And then on one hand, like I was so excited for him. And just to be very clear, I was not envious. I was not jealous. One thing I did have, though, I'm like, why didn't I discipline myself? Because I don't remember anything like that in high school. Right? Like, why? Because I just never, like, applied myself. Now, obviously, my goal is not to be an athlete and so on and so forth, and we can dismiss that. But my point is this, is that a lot of times we're not getting into our calling and walking what God has called us because on one hand, it feels good to know that God wants to partner up with us, but we refuse to discipline our bodies. We refuse to discipline our walk. We refuse to say, I'm going to be consistent in what I do. You know, so we go from church to church and we hear messages that, you know, like they're powerful and they're like, oh, that was so good, but you're not planted anywhere. Nobody's rebuking you. Nobody's holding you accountable. Nobody is saying, hey, where, where have you been? We relied on you. 
Hey, why are you forsaking the fellowship of the believers like it was written, uh, like it was read in the beginning of the service? So we don't place ourselves positionally. Now I understand that a lot of times when it comes to temptations, they just, they just come. You, a lot of times you don't have no control over what kind of temptations you're tempted with. Right? You, a lot of times you don't have, you might not have control of how you feel is what I'm saying. But you have control where you place yourself. You have control if you are placing yourself amongst believers to be encouraged where you're at some party where everyone's getting passed out drunk. Right? You can place yourself to succeed in this. You know, so to run the race with endurance also means that you have to persevere, but that takes consistency. A daily thing. You cannot, you know, think of, oh, if, if I just listen to this speaker, if I can just go into this conference, and I think a lot of times we take the, our approach to athlete, being an athlete, like, you know, the modern day, like, if you just buy these pills, and if you just get this thing that is very weird, and it'll give you abs, apparently, for 20 minutes a day, <laughs> and I'm just thinking, like, I've been going to the gym every day for a while, and I don't see no abs, like, I don't understand, what am I doing wrong? Well, it's pitched to you, like, that's going to fix all that. And I think a lot of times we take the same approach when it comes to our walk with the Lord. We're like, oh, if I can just hear that sermon, if I can just hear that speaker, if I can go to that church, if, if, if people around me wasn't aware. And so, and God is saying, if you were just consistent, if you were just walking with me daily, if you want to, you wake up in the morning, you run to my word. And, and if it's through podcast or if it's through, you know, you're listening to them, that's what I'm getting at. Because here's the crazy thing that I just like, what? Like, he says, so I run with purpose in every single step. I am not shadow boxing. Have you seen somebody doing that? They don't look very good, especially at the gym. If you go, if you're one of those people that goes into that room and you're just kind of like, you don't have anything that you're boxing, but you're just doing this. Like, I've just discredited you as a friend. Like, <laughs> like, it's just amazes me. Like, how do you do that? Right? Like, but apparently it works. Uh, but he's saying, like, we, we are not shadow boxing. We are actually up against real adversaries in the spiritual realm. We are actually fighting the, the ideologies of the world. We are fighting the enemy. We are fighting our flesh daily. We have to crucify our flesh da- daily. That is not an easy thing to do. And here's the crazy part. I discipline my body like an athlete, training to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear, listen, I fear that after, I preach, after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. So take that. Can you lose your salvation? I don't know, but that verse is in the Bible. I don't have time to go into all that, but I'm just saying, this is Paul saying, I dis- discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself be disqualified. Turns out there's a way to be disqualified. For example, when you cheat. It's, and walking with God is not just the ends that matter. It's also the means. It's not if you get where you're supposed to, but also how did you get there? To God, it, it, he's not necessarily how big your ministry you're building, how big of a business, or how what well, God is interested. Are you, is your character, are you honest? Are you gentle? Are you kind? Are you loving? Are you along the way? In every single decision, in every single conversation that you have, that's what God is interested in. 
You might think that you want to kind of, you know, just to break the ice here for a second and say this, that no matter what you do, I'm sorry to break it to you, you can't really amaze God. Like, God can't sit back and go, oh, I haven't seen that before. Like, that's amazing. Like, wow, do you thought of it on your own? That's great. I need more people like you because, like, I, I didn't even think about that. Now, I'll say that. God, you can't really impress. But there's also this other side of God where the enemy comes and says, you know, I just came from all of the earth. And God says, yeah, but have you, have you seen my servant Job? And he's like, well, of course I've seen him. Well, of course everyone will be a Christian and everyone will serve you. But take your hand away and you'll see what happens. And God's like, all right, it's on. Like that part of God I don't understand. And you see what happens to Job, right? And he's going through hell, literally. And then God, you know, Job is constantly asking these questions like, okay, my family is dead. My wife is telling me to curse God and die. I have all these things on me. Like, God, what, what's going on? He keeps on asking. There's no response. And then one day God speaks. And instead of giving him an answer, God's like, oh yeah, Job, men up. He says, gird your loins, which it's old language, but you kind of get the point. It's like, men up. You've, you've been asking what I've been. Let me ask you some things. And it gives him 128 questions. Job, if you're so smart, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Job, who made the snow and so on? Who made the eagle fly? If you are so bright. So God never answers his, his question. Just questions him back. It's like, you think you're so smart? You, you think you're better than me? Okay, where were you when I've done all this? What's the moral of the story? The moral of the story is that God does things because he is God and he gets to do them. And a lot of things that happen in your life don't make sense. And there's no way for me to tell you if they make sense or why they, why this happens. But there's this also amazing thing. I, I would love for God to say, yeah, but have you seen my servant Slavic? Have you seen, you know, my servant, you know, Edward? Have you seen Diana? Have you seen my servant how they walk before me in fear and trembling. How they walk with reverence and respect and holiness and righteousness. How they're out for my glory, not for theirs. So I don't have any easy answers for you. But what I can tell you is God is God. And things that you encounter will be hard. But this is why you have to care about every single step of the process. Not just the end goal. Amen? Look at this, Hebrews 12. So after we talked about this chapter of people that are so amazing and it's the hall of faith and so on and so forth, look at this, Hebrews 12 starts out saying, therefore, since we are surrounded by such great cloud of witnesses. Okay, so he, he's giving Hebrews 11 and then he says, Therefore, every time you see a there, therefore in the Bible, just wonder what's therefore, therefore, right? Like, like he says, so he's about to tell us, right? He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such crowd or such cloud of witnesses. Now, a lot of people take this and interpret it as like, oh, my grandma's just watching me. That's creepy. But like, like you know how people kind of like take this approach. What this passage is saying is that, all these people that ran before us, their testimony speaks to this truth. Yeah. 
So you have a cloud of witnesses of people to follow the same path. So you're not alone is what he's saying. Look, he goes on to say, therefore, since we are surrounded by such great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that that, that so easily entangles us. Now, it doesn't say throw off every single sin. It says everything that hinders you and everything that is a sin. Did you catch that? He doesn't say throw off every single sin, dot, or period. He says everything that hinders you and sin that so easily entangles you. So you could be doing something that's good, but hinders you. You could carry something that is amazing, but it actually is slowing you down. Like some of these athletes, especially swimmers, like they shave their legs, which it's odd, especially if you're a guy, right? Like, but they, they want to get any advantage they can, right? They, they, imagine if you kind of like put on five different uh, like sweaters and qu- I can't pronounce it, uh, sweaters and a whole bunch of clothes on, right? And you're like, okay, I'm ready to swim. It's like, dude, where are you going? Right? They maximize everything they do to make sure that they reach their goal. So if, if, if you are in a godly, ungodly relationship, now we know that you shouldn't be doing that because the Bible says, you know, you should date people that are equally yoked, people that go the same direction as you. But things are let a lot more subtle or subtle um, things like, okay, is playing video games okay? Does it help you? Does it get you closer to the goal or the purpose that God has intended for your life? Oh, can I watch football games? Sure. Does it help you? North Campus, what we've been doing is showing the football game. And then after we had like this, you know, chips and salsa, and that was our way to com- connect with the community. And for us, it was an amazing thing. I mean, they're still doing it where people come from the community and normally would not go to our church, but they came there for football and then we got to know them. Then they started coming to our church. So in that case, football was not a distraction. It was actually a tool that we used and a help to, to actually get us to what God has called us or the city to, to, to do and to be. So it's not a question, is going to Igor Creed's concert a sin or not? <laughs> you didn't think I'm going to go there, huh? <laughs> it, 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 does it help you? Does it help you in your calling? Does it help you? You know, is it a sin to post some really risky things on Instagram? Does it help you? Or does it cause a whole bunch of anger and so on and so forth? We have to be careful here. Because a lot of things are not sinful. There are very gray areas where we're trying to like figure things out. Uh, Pastor Russell used to do the sermon where he would actually have a guy jump on his back. And he had a whole bunch of like, um, uh, what's it called? Baggage. And he's like, okay, well, this is great. I'm loaded. I got everything that I need. But it's going to slow you down. So... My question to you tonight is this, what's slowing you down? Is it a relationship that you know you shouldn't be in? You know, is it maybe some of the things that we watch or listen to 
Does that help you? Does that help you getting to your goal? How do you train your, your, your body, your spiritual body? And let us run, he goes on to say, uh, actually, I'm going to start here one more, more thing and say, and sin that so easily entangles you. Just this amazing word that they used, entangles you. You think that sin is something that you commit, but here it's saying that if you give in to sin, it entangles you. It starts to kind of wrap its tentacles, I think that's the word. Yeah, like around you, right? So sin is not so much as, oh, you've committed and you're free from it. If you have committed a sin and you have not asked for forgiveness, you ha- if you've not repented, uh, if you're not repentant where you haven't sought repentance, then at the end of the day, the enemy still has a hold in your life. These are tentacles that kind of creep up and they start to pull you. Think about this. Like anytime you lie to your mom, right? It happens all the time. Don't look at me like you don't. Like, right? Like it happens all the time when you lie to someone, you know, and I hope you don't do it now. But if you lied and if you have not come clean about that, then you have to make another lie to cover for that lie. And it goes on and on and on. And then you get to a point like, how did I become like this? Like this lifestyle that I'm living, it's extremely ungodly. The places that I visit, the things that I say, the people that I hang out with, all these things. Now, there's a time where you hang out with people that maybe are not godly because God has called you to reach those people. But if you're just kind of like doing it what everyone's doing in that crowd, then you should really wonder, is that the best environment you should be in right now? Amen? So, so sin can entangle you quickly. And unfortunately, it's really hard to get out. The only way you can get out is to ask God to, to break that. If you've dealt with any kind of addiction, any kind of addiction, you know how hard it is to get out. So my hope is that you understand that sin is not something you just do. And if you're dealing with that right now, if there's still, you know, things that are holding you back, I I hope that after, uh, right before I'm done with this, you can come and say, God, would you forgive me? Would you restore me? Would you cleanse me? He goes on to say, he says, and let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. And this is the most amazing part, I think, about this whole thing. It says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down the right hand of the throne room of God. What an amazing passage. He says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Because you see, a lot of times we, as Christians, like, okay, as long as I'm free from pornography, as long as I'm free from alcohol, as long as I don't sleep around, as long as I don't do this and that and that and that. And the thing is, is that if you try to break from one, you'll fall into another one. It's not where do you run away from? It's who you run towards. Because there's so many times, like as long as I don't have this problem, but then you, you, so so you, I see this all the time in church, especially when you have somebody they just changed, God has changed their life, right? And they used to be like this, you know, person that would give into sin. It was like very lascivious, like he just do whatever. And then he came and he became this religious zealot, like, oh, y'all sinners, how dare you come in here and talk to me? Have you read your Bible this morning? Like, bro. Have you seen the mud you just got pulled from? You know how I know that guy? That was me. Like, and I just remember, I'm like, God, like, you just pulled me out of that. Now, automatically, I'm thinking like, wow, everyone was just so sinful. 
Because there's the other extremes, right? On one hand, you're doing all the sin. The other hand, you give into this religious, prideful, like, oh, nobody does Christianity the way I do it. Y'all should try, should learn from me. Like, you've been saved for two months. <laughs> right? So, so we have these extremes where we, you know, but it's not about what you run from. Is Are your eyes on Jesus daily? He says, he is the author and the perfecter of our faith. And because of the joy that was set before him, he was able to endure the cross. Now, when I tell you that you are an athlete, right? Like when I look at some of these athletes, they wake up every day at four and nobody here wakes up at four except Serge. We know that, right? Like <laughs> that's, I still think that's crazy. I used to wake up at four for my job because I got a paycheck, but wake me up at four today. Like that would not be a good you know, idea. Like, <laughs> So, so, but you don't wake up at four because you just enjoy, unless you're one of those people, which I don't even think anybody likes it. I don't know. I'm not going to comment on that. All I'm saying is most people don't enjoy waking up at 4 a.m., but they do it because of a greater reward, right? They don't enjoy training eight, nine hours a day, but they do it because of the bigger thing, right? So our suffering that we have here in this lifetime, it's not that we just, oh, we just... We just love to suffer. Like, I just love pain. Like, that's sadistic. Like, that's not, that, that you should really check your psychology at that point. We don't do, we don't suffer because we enjoy suffering. We suffer because we understand the bigger joy. Because Christ himself left heaven and he came that you and me might have eternal life. He said that for the joy that was set before him, do I die? Do I go through the scorn? Do I go through the shame? So they, I, I might have a relationship with them. That's why he did it. He says, because of this amazing joy that he had before him, he was able to endure the cross. So, so my hope you understand is you understand that this Christian life is not an easy thing. It's not putting your prayer in and getting you know, your need out and so on and so forth. This is not a vending machine. We don't control God with what, what we want and so on and so forth. But what I want to say is that all your suffering is not in vain. All the things that you thought there was just brokenness. I think some of the greatest moments that I had with God was not on my high peaks. It was in my low valleys. You, you know what I'm talking about. When you were so broken, you realized, God, I, I need you and nothing else. I've tried all those things and none of them worked. So I hope that as we go into this new season is that we find our joy in Him, that we are defined by Him and our eyes never waver from seeing Him and Him alone, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. And I want to make it very clear to you that, you know, all of us start on this Christian walk, but the question is, is how do we finish? It's not how we start. I'm going to read something that I found that I thought was so powerful. It says, Abraham started as a liar, but he ended up farther. Uh, I'm sorry, he ended up as a father of the faithful. Moses started as a baby in a basket and fled Egypt as a criminal, but he ended up leading the Hebrews out of, the, out of slavery. Rahab started as a prostitute, but she ended up in the family, uh, in the family tree of Jesus, the Messiah. It's not how you start, it's how you finish. Peter started as a cussing fisherman, but he ended up as the rock upon which the church was built. It's not how you start, it's how you end. Paul started a violent persecution, or he started as a violent persecutor, but he ended up as the apostle to the Gentiles. 
the history of God, of God's people, is not a story about how God, good, respectable, religious people do great things. It's a story about how God uses the most unlikely characters to accomplish God's plan. None of us know when we will reach that finish line, uh, finish line but it's not how you start, it's how you finish. Yeah. If you look at the Bible, the Bible is a book, I think, of brokenness, of God taking people that everyone discounted as, as nobodies, and he turned them into people to talk. Even today we talk about them. So, so this journey that you're on, I, I don't know how long God has you in this season, in this city, in this church, whatever you're at. But what I do know is that in every single day, God is working in your life to partner up with you, to reach a city, and to make sure that you, your life is not in vain. Your life is not wasted. That is what God is after. And I think it's a lot of times, and I think once you understand the glory that God, you know, it says that those who, who, if you have Christ in you, there's a, there's a verse that says Christ in us, the hope of glory, right? Like, so if you have Christ in you, there's a hope that this life is not the end. There's a hope that you get to see your parents and so on and so forth. There's a hope that you have eternal life. And I look forward to all of us, just like we're sitting here, maybe not like, I don't think they need preachers there. Worship team though, like you guys have some job security for a long time, right? Like, so, you know, I look forward to that day when we stand in his presence. Amen. I look forward to that. But in this moment, we are still going through this where it's the kingdom of, you know, there, but not yet, right? Like, so we know the glory, but we're still going through this brokenness. We still go through everyday things that we have to, to kind of deal with. So my hope is you understand that your suffering is not in vain. You know, you're, uh, there's an amazing passage that I don't have time to read right now, but it says that like somebody, some people complain and said like, well, this is really hard. And, and, um, you know, I think it was Apostle Paul that said this, that like, yeah, you struggle, but you struggle as sons and daughters. So, you know, and he brings this amazing example where like, if you have a slave and you have a kid in the same house, they might do the same chores, but one of them is a son and has an inheritance right? So, so yes, you struggle. Yes, in your struggle against sin, do understand that you're not a slave. You're a son. And not only that, you, God cares about you and God has an inheritance for you in glory. That's why we put up with what we put up, not because we just enjoy it. Amen. So we discipline our bodies. We, we do all these things because of the glory, you know, that's at the end of this. And I want to read this, this, Last verse, and I'm going to call it to prayer in about a few minutes. But in Second Timothy four seven says this. You know, after Paul has written all these books, and he he writes to Timothy, and it's one of his last you know letters. And it's this amazing passage that I, I hope all of us at the end of our lives we can do the same thing, right? Where he writes and says, "I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have remained faithful. And now the prizes awaits me." The crown of righteousness, which the Lord Jesus, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. But it doesn't stop there. He says, and the prize is not just for me, but for all of those who eagerly look forward to his appearing. What an amazing passage. What an amazing hope that we have. He says, I have fought the fight. I've done all these things. And I want to tell you this, that, that I look forward to the crown of righteousness, but it's not just for me. It's for everyone that is eagerly waiting for Christ appearing. So the question is, are you waiting for him? Are, are we, 
are we doing this daily where we're like, God, I, I don't know. Maybe the end for me is tomorrow. I don't know. But God, I want to live every single day, not next year and make a whole bunch of resolutions and, you know, fail them by the next day, by 12 p.m. next day, right? Like, I'm not going to eat and then you eat and all the gym stuff and not do that. But every single day say, God, in this moment, how can I honor you? After this, we, we don't have to leave. We have some food. Walking up and say, God, what do you have for me to say to this person? How can I build them up? How can I encourage them, you know, tonight? Not what I want to say and how I want to be the center of attention and how I want to tell my stories, but God, what do you want me to say to this person right now in this moment? God, maybe at this moment I need to listen to this person. Maybe they're going through a really struggle and I need to just listen and just minister to them by just being present in someone that, that could listen. This is my hope is that as a church, we understand that this is not going to be easy. But there's a reward at the end. Not only that, understand that you're not doing this alone. You are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses, of, of people that came before you, that are your coaches. And I think if you were to talk to, Mo, uh, to, to Moses, for example, he would tell you, just trust and obey. That's all I did. You, you talk about Joseph. If you have dreams, talk to Joseph about dreams. When people kind of snicker and like, oh, you can open a business, right? Like, I just don't see you as the business kind of type. Like, like this is what you're up against, right? Understand that people that came before you dealt with the same thing. My hope is you understand that you have a cloud of witnesses. And us as, as leaders and pastors and volunteers, you have a whole bunch of people here that are doing this with you. No, my job is not to run the race for you. I can't do that. My job is more like a coach, right? Where your coach is someone that you like him, but you don't. They push you, but there's moments where you're like, get out of my face. But your coach is also the, point of the, the, the person who says, okay, you got some bruises. Okay, let's, let's get you back up. Put a bandaid on it. You can do it. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. And as, as pastors, a lot of times we do the same exact thing. When we pick you up, I'm like, let's put a bandaid on that. You'll survive. Don't worry. People have been through worse than this. Let's get back, in, uh, back on the race. Where, where they, might, they might come along and say, yeah, that boyfriend of yours, uh-uh. Like, that's not, that's a dead weight. That's not going anywhere. You need to break that off. It may be not sinful, but it's a hindrance. Now, I'm not speaking to a particular situation here, just to be clear. I'm just saying that God, through other people, will start speaking to your life and start cutting things, and they will not feel good. But in all this, God is changing you. He's transforming you. He's making into you who you're supposed to be. I uh, want to close with these few stories that I, I have, and I, I just they, I think they're so amazing. When I look at Apostle Paul, when I look at, at people like, for example, I, I encourage you, if you can, go home and Google Keith Green. He was a he was a worship leader back in nineteen eighties, and I just just listened to some of his music. I know it's from eighties, but it's it's really good. And the, the 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 life that he has lived. But what's more personal to me is the story that I I carry with me. There was a time when obviously I wasn't alive, and my grandma went to a prayer service. In our whole village, there was no Christians. We all of us, well, all of them, because I wasn't born at that time, like they were Easter Orthodox. They didn't really know Jesus. I mean, they had this religious thing, but like 
not a personal walk with Jesus. So my grandma went to prayer and she gave her heart to the Lord. Now her husband was very abusive and it was just a, a huge problem, but she started to pray daily and then she started to a point where she would prophesy and she would have, she would be right on. And, and then my dad, he, he was someone who, his parents were extremely ungodly. I mean, the guy was so ungodly, or my grandpa, that when it would rain, he would take the ax and throw it up in the air. He was so mad at God. So, so out of that, my dad came out and became a Christian. And because of that, his whole family cast him out so they could no longer have any kind of like talks. And they sort of kind of, like my mom and my dad wrote their names together and they got married. And no help, nothing. And what I say, what I say is that they kept on going and my grandma was the only one who encouraged them. And they kind of developed this into a church and now it's a thriving church in that village. My dad never really made it onto national platforms and all that, but he instilled that faith into me. And when my grandma died, you know, she, they brought her to the hospital. You guys know the story. Some of you know it. You know, my dad came. He's like, okay, well, the doctor says we're going to pick you up because you're good to go. And she looked at him and smiled and says, Michael, I'm going home, but I'm not going with you. He spoke to me this morning and I'm, I'm going home, Mike. But my dad's like, okay, you're talking crazy. Like, we're picking you up before. Two hours later, she died. When I look at this story of someone that in spite of the abuse in the family, like by my other grandpa, and like in spite of all the things, she didn't have money, she didn't have influence, none of that. Like it was just, I mean, she started this church that is flourishing now and along the line, they instilled that faith into me and and my, my parents. Like what an impact. I mean, she never really saw the legacy of godliness she's gonna leave through just being faithful. She died when I was four. And, and I, I want you to really listen to me. Like, if you didn't listen to this whole sermon, like, I, I, I hope you understand this. The, the decisions that you make don't just affect you. It affects your whole legacy down the road. If it's it's going to affect your, your spouse, your kids. Generation after generation is going to affect the decisions you make today. So it, it's worth it to, to go through the suffering. It's worth it to discipline our bodies. It's worth it to run with endurance and not just like shadow box, but actually mean and walk with him. Amen. Would you raise? I'm going to ask the worship team to come up and we're going to go into just one more song and we're going to have fellowship after that. But I'm going to ask you this is um, as we go into to prayer, I'm not going to come up fr- call you up front, but I'm going to ask you to think of the one thing in your life that's holding you back. If it's a sin in your life, would you, would you ask God for forgiveness? And I'd love to talk to you after. If it's not a sin, maybe it's something that's a hindrance. It's, it's something that might be good, but it's still holding you back. Me, maybe, me, maybe you're trying to do too much. Maybe it's college that's good, but then it keeps you from your walk with the Lord. Thank you for listening to Eternal Stance. My hope is that these messages will help you to live in light of eternity. If this podcast is a blessing to you, would you share with other people? Thank you in advance, and until next time, God bless you.